How to Protect Your Privacy While Podcasting. Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 288. Thank you for joining me for the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is the award-winning in-depth podcast about podcasting. It's where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. I am totally convinced that your privacy is important and you could be compromising it with your podcast. You may not know that, but the more information you put out there, the more potential there is for compromising your own privacy. So I want to present to you eight ways you can protect your personal and professional privacy. But before that, there's this main question that needs to be answered. Why is privacy important? Well, for obvious reasons, there are a lot of horrible people in the world who could cause you or your family or your friends harm. And that harm could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be financial, it could be harm in some kind of other intangible form. And I think you should be even more concerned about your privacy if you've shared any kind of controversial opinions, especially, interestingly, if you have any extremely conservative opinions. Besides worrying about all the creeps of the world, You may also need to protect your privacy because of your job, some kind of contractual agreements, or anything else. It may not be an issue of what's allowed by law or by contract or something like that, but more about what honors the spirit of those relationships, those positions, those agreements, and those associations. For example, Apple is extremely protective about what messages are communicated from the company. So employees may be prohibited from publicizing their employment with Apple, or they may be prohibited from engaging in certain conversations because they could be seen as endorsements from an Apple representative or in some way reflect back on Apple as a company. Other companies may have similar policies, and these are reasonable policies. After all, is it really reasonable if you have someone working for your company who is going out bashing your company? in public forums or saying they work for you and then doing all of these other things. I know there are gray areas here, but you really have to think carefully about what honors the spirit of those relationships. Even if you are honoring the what we would call the letter of the law, are you also honoring the spirit of the law and honoring those relationships, those associations, those agreements and such that you have? Now, what you actually decide to do and the positions that you hold are totally up to you, and you need to be concerned with how these reflect on other positions or relationships and such. So while protecting your privacy may seem to limit your freedoms, it can actually give you freedoms you wouldn't have otherwise had. For example, if you podcast under some kind of pseudonym or a different persona, that may give you the freedom to talk about things you wouldn't be allowed to talk about if you were podcasting under your real name, because that real name could then be associated with the company you work for, and then that could get you into all kinds of trouble, potentially. So for whatever reasons you hold, here are eight ways to protect your privacy while podcasting. And if you'd like to follow along in the show notes for episode 288, then go to theaudacitytopodcast.com 
slash privacy. That's also where you can go to share this episode out and comment on any additional suggestions for how you can protect your privacy while podcasting. Number one, consider a pseudonym or partial name. Creating a fictitious name or not using your full name in podcasting will make it harder for others to compromise your privacy. It doesn't make it impossible. It's certainly not the best option, but it may be the most effective with the least effort. After all, if I called myself by a different name, you wouldn't be able to trace it back to who I really am. Or is Daniel J. Lewis really who I am? Hmm, the world may never know. This will most likely not work if you've already put your name out there in the public. You've already started your podcast. You're already using your real name. And then you want to switch to a pseudonym. That can't really work. Now, it can work going the other way around. If you want to switch from using a pseudonym to using your real name, or you switch from using only your first name to then using your full name. But once you've put your name out there, it's public. And even though you can go back and edit it out or change it, and you may get various results from that in the quality of and sound of it, you can't really undo what you've already put there on the internet. Now, I've done an episode previously about whether you should podcast under a real name or a pseudonym, and I have a link to that in the show notes for this episode at theaudacitypodcast.com slash privacy, or you can jump back to episode 183 to listen to that and hear more of my thoughts on whether you should use your real name or a pseudonym in your podcast. Generally, I do recommend you use your real name or some form of your real name, especially if you're trying to make a business and build a brand from this. But there could be many reasons for you to not use your real name, not only protecting your own privacy, but maybe it's a requirement. Maybe you are a secret agent. Maybe you work for the government. Maybe you're James Bond. And for once in your life, you're going to not introduce yourself as James Bond to every spy and criminal you meet. Yeah. There's the loophole. So think carefully about whether you should use a pseudonym or a partial name. It's up to you really to decide, especially if you are starting out. This is when you could decide. But think future. Think what would you regret or potentially wish you had done differently years from now if you're just starting out. Number two, beware the whole story you're telling. You may not be giving your home address in a single podcast episode, But you have to think about every clue you reveal across all of your episodes. For example, across several episodes, you may reveal all of the following facts about yourself, like where you shop and what's nearby your home and where you shop, how far you drive to work, what your company does, something unique about your home area, certain local events, extremely local events that have happened and affected your life, a photo of your house or a photo of your backyard, the name of someone else who might not be as protective of their own privacy, and that can go back to you, or when or where you attend a regular meeting, such as a church service. And any combination of information like this could be very easy then for anyone to figure out where you live, what valuables you might have, and when you'll be gone. So be very careful about that whole story you're telling. Try not to reveal any of that information. Don't say, yeah, when I was driving into work, there's this pothole that's really close to me and they finally started working on the pothole that's just down the street from my house. 
that could be too revealing. Someone could figure out what pothole you're talking about. Someone could figure out the stores you're talking about, the locations you frequent. They could figure out the car you drive. They could figure out where your kids go to school. They could figure out the church you attend. They could figure out where you work. They could figure out where you will be at a specific time and either do something to you and that location or know that you're not home during that time. Scary, right? Yeah, you should be scared. This is a healthy kind of fear that really, I think, should inspire you to take action to protect yourself from creeps as well as from simple, common sense kinds of things. This kind of stuff may sound like the resources that people use in the spy movies or shows, but it can be a reality that you put enough of these pieces out there and then all it takes is someone else to put these pieces together and then they can figure out that kind of information about you and compromise your privacy and security. You need to be very careful, especially with how impossible it is to completely remove something from the internet. If you've put it out there before, then you might not ever be able to remove that. Be extremely careful with that whole story you're telling. Think about things like the names of your pets or the the breeds of your pets, the photos of your home or your street, any kind of revealing information like that. Be extremely careful with that information. I know it's hard to try and balance that with transparency and authenticity, but I think it's still possible to be transparent about things without revealing stuff. Or you can time shift things. So maybe you want to talk about something that happened this week and it is somehow tied to your location. But instead of talking about it this week as a very recent thing, make some notes, maybe record something on it to remind yourself of your passion or what you wanted to say about it, and then save it for a long time later so that by your talking about it, it doesn't reveal your location. Because you're no longer talking about something that happened on a specific date. It's sometime in the past, which makes it a little bit harder for people to pinpoint it to a particular date and location. This is number two. Beware the whole story you're telling. Number three, adjust privacy settings on social networks. Facebook is notorious for frequently changing privacy settings, but you should be aware and adjust your settings for any social network or account that you make. For example, some sites may make the following information public, your birthday, your home city, your location in a photo or in a post, like Twitter or Facebook, for example, might default to having your current location attached when you're using a device that has your location so people can see exactly where you were when you posted that message. That could be especially bad if you are at home when you post that message and people can see then where your home is. They could also see that you're not at home when you post certain messages. There are, of course, exceptions to this that you may want to consider, like if you're at a conference and you want people to know you're at that conference because you're sharing all of this valuable information from the conference. Those kinds of things are difficult to account for, and that's where you have to consider what are your backup security measures. Is someone still at home? Do you have a security system? Do you have cameras? Do you have a trusted neighbor who can keep an eye on things? Do you have friends or anything like that that can help enhance your security when you can't be there? And beyond what information you share on social sites, 
You may also need to customize who can see that information. Facebook, for example, lets you group friends into different lists. So then you can customize who can see what based on what list they're in. For example, you could have the acquaintances list where you do connect with those people that you mildly know on social networks, but the people that you wouldn't necessarily trust with your personal phone number or you wouldn't trust them with the key to your house. So maybe you don't allow them to see your phone number or your email address or your address or certain activity on Facebook. You exclude it from that particular list. Or you could have other lists of more trusted people and they're the only lists that are allowed to see certain information. This is number three, adjust privacy settings on social networks. Number four, read privacy policies. I know you may not like reading these things, terms of agreement, privacy policies and such, but you really need to know what you're agreeing to. Generally, I would say if a company has a privacy policy, That seems to make them more trustworthy right away, but nonetheless, it's still important for you to read anything you're agreeing to and everything you're agreeing to. For example, a privacy policy may address who can access your contact information, with whom your information is shared, what rights the company has with showing your association, and so on. For example, and this is in their privacy policy and their terms of agreement, so this is not anything confidential I'm sharing here, but Libsyn, for example, has the right that if you are a regular Libsyn customer, and by the way, if you're not, use promo code NOODLE and you can sign up, but if you are a regular customer, Libsyn has the right to say that you are a customer of Libsyn. You are agreeing to that fact. So they can then say Libsyn is trusted by people like Daniel J. Lewis and all of these other people. You've agreed to that. Now, if you can't agree to that, they do have Libsyn Pro, which is for their professional companies that want to host with Libsyn and get added professional benefits. Blueberry has similar levels as well, where they have Blueberry Regular, and raw voice, more corporate professional hosting. But I can't speak to the terms of service exactly on the Blueberry side, simply because I don't remember digging into the details as much on their side as I have with Libsyn on this particular issue. But with Libsyn, if you're on Libsyn Pro, then you are not granting Libsyn the permission to say so-and-so is a customer of ours. Now, you're not giving Libsyn the permission to share your stats with other parties and other people but you are giving them your permission to say you are a customer. There are many companies that may have that in their privacy policy or their terms of service, and you need to check on that. I'm not saying that if someone knows that you host with Libsyn, that is horribly compromising your privacy. After all, you can look inside someone's RSS feed and see where the files are downloading from and then easily see, oh yeah, they're hosting with Libsyn. Or you can check certain redirects and stuff like that to know who they're using for their hosting or for their stats. So it's it's not really that much of a privacy concern. But think about that with other companies. Would you trust that your information would be safe with them? The only way you can know that for sure is to read those privacy policies, those terms of service and other agreements that you are saying you agree to. If you don't agree with their privacy policies or their terms of service, you most likely usually don't have the option to use the services without agreeing. But reading these policies and those terms of service can inform you to what freedoms you have, what freedoms you're forfeiting, 
and what you may need to do differently on a particular platform in order to further protect your privacy. If nothing else, it at least allows you to contact the company and ask them questions of clarification about certain points so you can know whether you're understanding it correctly and what rights they are reserving for themselves and what rights they're giving you. And you may even inspire them to revise things or clarify things or make sure that you are maintaining your rights as you should be. There are many cases of this in the past where it seemed like a privacy policy or a terms of service agreement with a particular company was granting them ownership of your content. So many people then contacted the company and said, it sounds like you're saying this. Is this really what you're saying? And the company could then say, oh, whoa, no, 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 no. We are not claiming ownership of your content. You have ownership of your content still, even if you use us. So we better go clarify that in our terms of service and in our privacy policy. You can inspire change like that. So make sure, if even for your own education's sake, Make sure that you read those privacy policies. That's number four. Number five, rent a mailing address. If you need to enter your physical address anywhere other than a trusted online retailer where you're buying something and having it shipped to you, I think you should consider having another address. And this could be used in many different places. Just think, for example, all of the places where your address may be available, such as who is information on domains that show name, address, telephone number, and email address. I'll talk to you more about that in just a moment. There are some annoying sites that ask for a physical address even when they don't really need it because they're not going to ship something to you. You may want to give your audience the ability to send you things, cards, chocolate. Hey, I welcome chocolate. If you want to send chocolate to me or cream soda, which might be a little difficult to ship, but I have an address that you can send that kind of thing to. And we receive some really cool things in the mail from our audience. We've received a big inflatable ball from an audience member to our Clean Comedy Podcast. We've received thank you cards. We've received gift cards. We've received chocolates. We've received other fun things from our audience. And it's really neat to give them that ability to connect with us and be part of the show by sending us cool things. Your address may also be used to populate some kind of user map or display your city on a a name card, your profile, or anything like that. Now, that could be a small concern if you're in a major city like Cincinnati or Los Angeles or Miami or something like that. But this is a bigger concern if you're in a smaller city where it's a much more rural thing and someone could figure out where you live by knowing you live in this very small town and how many people are there in that town with your name. For these uses and several others, I do highly recommend that you have another address that you can use. That could be as simple as a P.O. box. It could be some local shipping or mailbox company that you rent an address from them. It could be an online service like Earth Class Mail, which by the way, I have an affiliate link to if you want to sign up for Earth Class Mail in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash privacy. Consider having that other address so that you can protect your main address, which may be your home. It may even be your business. Do you really want people to know your actual business address where they could go with 
a chainsaw and chainsaw all of your equipment, cut your microphones in half or, or harm you or anything like that. And I'm not saying the world is full of creeps like that, but the world is full of creeps like that. So you do need to think about protecting your privacy, especially in those situations where it's linked to your home or someplace you are regularly present and alone and vulnerable. This is number five, rent a mailing address. Number six, invest in privacy protection and ID theft insurance. Speaking of addresses, have you ever looked at what information is freely available to someone when they do a who is search on a domain you own? I highly recommend you try this yourself. I have a link to a place in the show notes for this episode, but you can also go to who.is and enter your domain there and you'll see maybe your home address, your home telephone number, your home email address, anything like that. You might be shocked by that. And in fact, many, many years ago, I was interested in acquiring the domain danieljlewis.com. So what did I do? I looked it up in a Whois database and found a phone number, an email address, a name. So I picked up the phone and called the number. And the person who answered was irate with me. They could not believe I was able to track them down. And I told them, it's freely available hearing this public information that's super easily searchable. They didn't care about that. They were really angry that I had called. Well, they eventually let the domain expire. And that's when I was able to buy DanielJLewis.com. And I am not letting that domain go now. But that was after waiting 12 years. I think it was about 12 years ago, 13 years maybe at this point, that I called and ask them if they would sell the domain. And they gave me that emphatic no, and don't you ever dare call me again, and how could you even get this information? Well, it was freely available through the Whois information on that domain. Many hosting companies and domain registrars will offer privacy protection services for that Whois database. Thus, instead of displaying your home address, the company might then display their own contact information And if they receive email or packages and such, they may even forward that stuff to you. Most likely, though, anyone who gets your contact information from your domain is not someone you really want to hear from. It will usually be spam. It will be unsolicited messages, packages, samples, domain notifications that are fake telling you, oh, renew from us, hurry, because we're running a special that's only $99 a year for your domain, even though you're really only paying $10 or $15 a year through your domain. But this kind of protection level is great to have on your domain. It usually costs maybe a few dollars per year per domain, and some registrars or hosting companies may include it for free. But do think about that in comparison to what it costs to rent an address. It may end up being cheaper for you to protect your one domain than to rent a physical address through a P.O. box or one of these other kinds of services. Or it may be cheaper for you to rent an address at $20, $50 a year, whatever the cost is, instead of paying the couple hundred dollars a year for all of the domains that you use. Since you're putting your life online, or even a small aspect of it, you may also want to consider some kind of ID theft protection. And this might come through your home insurance provider, your business insurance provider, or some other separate and dedicated insurance provider. Identity theft insurance may not protect you from identity theft, 
And some of them may offer certain levels of protection and prevention, but what they can do for you is alert you to concerns. Hey, did you know your email address was used to sign up for this service or your credit card was used here or your address was entered here or this information is now publicly accessible? There are things like that that can alert you to concerns like credit report monitoring services that many of them are questionable, of course. Some of them are trustworthy. I'm not going to give you a list. I, I don't know a list of monitoring services you can trust. You'll have to go somewhere else for that. But some of these ID theft prevention companies or insurance companies can also cover your expenses when you face a problem. Like what if you have to hire a lawyer in order to get yourself out of that problem as a result of some identity theft? Some of these services will even replace your income if you have to take time off work in order to resolve problems. Resolving ID theft problems can take a lot of time and be a huge pain. So it might be worth it to ensure yourself from those problems, especially if you have a lot to lose or if you're putting a lot of information out there, phone numbers, email addresses, and such. So that's number six, invest in privacy protection and ID theft insurance. Number seven, use separate email accounts or addresses. You may not be able to see what email address is associated with someone else's online account, but... Many tools can search the other way around and find online accounts based on an email address. For example, a tool like Reportive can show someone your name, your Twitter, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, and other information based on nothing but your email address. So be careful with what email addresses you use and how frequently you use a particular email address and what information is shared from all of those accounts tied to that particular email address. If you use Gmail or Google apps, an easy trick is using plus something inside of your email address. This will function as an additional email address without having to create an additional account. For example, you could have John plus Twitter at gmail.com or John plus Facebook at gmail.com and such. However, some sites won't accept a plus sign in your email address, so you may want to just outright create an additional account. That could be an account with your domain. It could be a forwarder, a separate account. It's really up to you how you want to set that up. But then you can ensure that maybe all of your public profiles use a particular email address, whereas your private profiles use a different email address. So people can't discover your real name because they entered your email address into a tool like Reportive or something else like that. And there are plenty of tools like that. They're pretty handy for other uses. Like I really like it for if I need to send an email to someone and I don't know their name, I can sometimes enter the email address into one of these tools and I can see, oh, okay, that's their name. So then when I send them an email, I can address them by name. This also happens when people sign up for things and they don't use their first name. They use their podcast name and I really need their first name instead. I can look that up because of these simple tools and the other information that they've put out there. Now, whatever address or addresses you use must be highly secure. If someone could get access to your email account, they could then take over any other account tied to that email. It doesn't matter what your password is on that other service. For example, if you use a single Gmail account for everything 
and someone gets access to that account, they could go to Twitter and say, reset the password, or I forgot my password. They'll send an email to your email account, and then anyone who has access to that email account can then reset the password and gain access to your Twitter account. Scary? Yes. That fear should inspire you to take action and protect yourself. If you use email forwarders or anything like that, then make sure access to those settings, usually with your domain registrar or your web host, is extremely protected. Have an extremely secure password, two-factor authentication, all of this other stuff to ensure that people can't forward your email to somewhere else and take over your email account in that way. This is number seven. Use separate email accounts and addresses, and that could prevent a lot of these complications. Number eight, implement security measures. Online security is another issue all to itself, but poor security can compromise your privacy. So in short, here are some things that you could and should be using in order to keep your private information secure. And this is not an exhaustive list, but if you follow all of these things, this will help you significantly. First, Use separate, unique, secure passwords for everything. That's not using one great password for all of your sites. That's all of your sites having their own passwords. A good password should be long and contain numbers, uppercase and lowercase letters, symbols, and no words inside of it. The second thing you should use, and this can help you generate those secure passwords, is a password manager like LastPass and 1Password. Those are probably the best multi-platform and most popular password managers available. These can generate those secure passwords for you and then store them in encrypted storage so that you can easily access them and log into sites and services. Please, please, please make sure the password to these password managers is a really good, long, secure password. And it shouldn't be one that you have to use the password manager to fill in Because then if you're locked out of your password manager, you can't log in to your password manager because the password manager has your password to the password manager. Inception, I know. Also consider this third thing, two-factor authentication, sometimes abbreviated as 2FA. This is when signing into something requires an additional step, such as entering a code that you receive through an app, a special message, an email, text message, a code you get from somewhere else or something like that. Two-factor authentication is a great way to ensure that even if someone has your password to a site, they can't log in because they need that other thing in order to sign into your site. They need your phone. They need that app on your phone. They need some other information that only you know, something like that. The more secure it is and the more randomly generated it is on demand, the better. Authy is a great app that is built on top of Google Authenticator. So what it does is every so many seconds, a new code is generated. That code is based on some algorithm you set up when you enable the two-factor authentication. So a code that works now may not work 30 seconds from now, and that makes it much more secure. The fourth security measure I recommend you implement is secure storage for sensitive information. Please do not save your passwords in a passwords.txt file on your desktop. That's just asking to be hacked. 
Don't write your passwords down on a piece of paper and put it under your keyboard or in that drawer under your desk. I know you probably thought it was secure there, but no, it is not secure there at all. Use secure storage for this kind of thing. Ensure that whatever secure information you want to store, your passwords, logins, uh, API keys, usernames, anything like that, ensure that it is stored securely and that it's encrypted too, so that someone has to decrypt it with a key that only you have before they can use it. Implement these security measures and you will also be protecting your privacy because it will be harder for people to then compromise your privacy by easily hacking into your other accounts. So these eight ways to protect your privacy while podcasting are, number one, consider a pseudonym or partial name. Number two, beware the whole story you're telling. Number three, adjust privacy settings on social networks. Number four, read privacy policies. Number five, rent a mailing address. Number six, invest in privacy protection and ID theft insurance. Number seven, use separate email accounts or addresses. Number eight, implement security measures. Now I know this is not an exhaustive list of everything you could and should be doing to protect your privacy. So I want to hear from you. How else do you protect your own privacy while you're podcasting? Comment on the website with the show notes for this episode at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash privacy. And you don't have to reveal your real name. Now, there may be certain cases where it's obvious that's not your real name. Who would write that on a birth certificate, right? But you don't have to reveal that information. But you could explain why is it important, if that's even okay for you to reveal. There are many people that are podcasting under different names and you may never know it because they're doing it completely consistently. They're protecting their privacy. They're concerned for whatever reasons they have. So if you have other suggestions on how you can protect your own privacy, please comment on the show notes for episode 288 at com slash privacy. I want to thank Roger Paxton, host of the Lava Flow podcast and also a member of Podcaster Society for his kind review of the Audacity to Podcast in iTunes. Roger hosts the Lava Flow podcast at thelavaflow.com. He wrote in the United States store of iTunes. I listen to lots of podcasts on podcasting, and this is the best in a category with lots of greats. I never miss an episode. I started listening to the Audacity to Podcast to start my first podcast, and now I have two out, and I'm starting a new podcast network. Thanks in no small part to Daniel. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Roger, for that kind review in iTunes. Check out Roger's podcast, thelavaflow.com, and here's a short excerpt from one of his recent episodes. To vote or not to vote? That is the question. What's the answer? What's in the news with stories on the Backpage CEO being arrested, marijuana versus violent crimes, government secrecy patents, and Julian Assange, and an NCAP app segment on updates to Cell 411 and a cool new product that works with it. And be sure to hang out through the end of the show to hear about my November contest that everybody can enter to win a prize pack. Welcome to the Lava Flow, channeling the flow of information to the libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, and agorist community. Find us at thelavaflow.com. Here's your host, Roger Paxton.
So you can hear some fun production value to that and some very interesting and, yes, highly controversial topics as well. So if that interests you, then check out thelavaflow.com. It is an explicit podcast, so keep that in mind when you go there. Thank you very much, Roger, for that kind review in iTunes. And hey, if you haven't reviewed the Audacity to Podcast yet, then please go to theaudacitytopodcast.com, click on the iTunes or Stitcher link to write a review there, and make sure you include the name of your podcast so that I can include a link to your podcast website, as well as, if possible, an excerpt from your podcast. And it's my way of giving back to the community and saying thank you for that review. Thank you for being part of this community and to enable other people to hear some of the great independent small batch podcasts that are done really well, have engaging information, great content, challenging questions, and much more. So that's at the audacity to podcast. Com. And thank you, Roger. If you want to check out his podcast, go to thelavaflow.com or the show notes for this episode at theaudacitypodcast.com slash privacy. And that's also where you can go that if you want to share some other tips on protecting your privacy or share this episode out online, maybe it's inspired you in some way, maybe it's made you afraid of your own privacy, which I hope is something that will inspire you to take action then share this episode out with your friends by going to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash privacy and click on those sharing buttons or share this into podcasting groups, social media groups, with your email list, wherever you feel it's appropriate. That's it, theaudacitytopodcast.com slash privacy. One announcement before I go is that this week, at the time of this publication, you will be able to join Podcaster Society again because I'm completing some back-end migrations. So that also means I'll be going back to hosting the free monthly webinars with great podcasters sharing amazing tips. If you're interested in joining and want to know the moment it opens, then email me, feedback at theaudacitypodcast.com. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. Thanks for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. The Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Find more at techpodcasts.com.